Okay, great. So welcome to the call, everybody. I'm Joey Remini from Seeking Balance, and I am very pleased to have David Schmulevitz with me on the line. So can you still hear me, David? I certainly can. Awesome. Here we are. So Dr. David Schmulevitz is a wonderful man in the world of balance and vertigo, and I've been really lucky actually to work with David over the last eight or so years, I think, with Melbourne Uni and the Royal Victorian Eye Hospital. And David is a neurologist who specialises as a neurootologist, which he'll explain a little bit more on. And David sees patients with vertigo, helping them understand and treat their conditions. And he's really very knowledgeable in, with regards to the parts of the brain, the cerebellum in particular, our balance centres there in the brain, and also the inner ears, so the vestibular system. So thanks very much for making the time, David. Thanks for inviting me, Joey. Awesome. So, um, you're, where are you working at the moment? It's the Iron Ear Hospital and also Epworth, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So, um, my public um, hospital work is at the Iron, Ho- Iron Ear Hospital at the Balanced Disorders and Ataxia Service there. Um, yes. And at the Epworth Hospital at the Balanced mm-hmm. Disorders Clinic. Um, and um, I also um, work in private rooms in Fitzroy. Great. Many people are lucky to see you. So I thought it'd be really nice to start off with just clarifying. Some people on the line might not really know the difference between various neurology specialties. So if you see a general neurologist versus seeing a neurootologist, what might be the main difference there? Sure. So, look, neurology is a specialty broadly encompasses um, disorders of the brain, spine and peripheral nerves, so the nerves mm-hmm. that travel out from the spine to the various parts of the body. A neurootologist um, can either be of a neurology or ENT background, but it, in Australia it's generally a neurologist who has a particular mm-hmm. interest and practice in balance disorders. Um, mm-hmm. Balance disorders that have their basis in dysfunction of the inner ear or vestibular um, apparatus mm-hmm. um, or the brain or a combination of both of those. Um, right. And the, um, the training um, that um, someone um, like me does is to go on and spend extra time um, studying and perhaps doing research in the area of balance disorders. Yeah, did you want to explain a little bit um, about canvas and some of the cerebellar ataxic um, conditions, I suppose, that you've put some time into? Yeah, sure. So the first thing to say is that the cerebellum is a very important part of our brain that sits right at the back, just behind the stem of the brain. Um, And it's increasingly recognised that the cerebellum is involved in very many tasks. Um, Mm. But if it's function has had to be summarized into one word it would be that of coordination and whether that is of coordination of movement of the arms and legs coordination Mm -hmm. of um, the muscles of swallow so that we end up getting um, a lump of food from the front of our mouth all the way into our gullet and down to our tummy rather than into our windpipe and into our lungs um, mm-hmm. And more recently, um, the cerebellum has been shown to have quite an important role in higher level functions such as emotion. Um, and um, so some people think of it as also having a coordination role in yeah. how we receive, interpret and express our feelings, which is 
Um, very interesting, but makes a lot of sense if you think about the, um, the central role yeah. of the cerebellum. So yeah. um, the cerebellar ataxias are a group of diseases um, where mm-hmm. there is poor functioning of the cerebellum. Um, and for those of us who work in balance disorders, this can often be seen by poor balance, particularly that of walking and maybe recognised as a typical sort of drunken gait or walk. Um, It also affects the upper limbs or the arms so that some people with cerebellar ataxias have a lot of trouble with fine movements such as doing up or undoing a small shirt button, um, accurately getting a key into a lock. um, And and, um, hand, handwriting even? Yeah, handwriting, and it can also be seen and, and can be quite problematic for people around um, eating. So you yep. don't really think about it, and we probably take it for granted, but um, eating with a knife and fork, stabbing the food, cutting the food, accurately getting the food into our mouth, all takes an enormous amount of coordination. And of course, as with many things, this is often taken for granted until um, there is a dysfunction. Yeah. Um, and the, in terms of the research interest that I have, um, they tend to be around the diseases that cause a combination of cerebellar and vestibular inner ear balance mechanism dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And so we see patients who have underactivity of both their cerebellum and their inner ear balance mechanisms. And we're um, interested in... Um, furthering our understanding as a link to um, pushing ahead with treatment um, Mm. and finding um, that increasingly there are uh, more people in the community with these disorders than were previously recognised. Yeah, and I think we spoke about this with the RIMBY, so people who were tending to walk a little wider and a little slower and finding Mm -hmm. some day-to-day tasks much more challenging and also possibly feeling a little less safe on their feet particularly at night time or in um, sandy and uneven surfaces. Absolutely. They're the classic situations where our patients tend to struggle. Yeah, yeah. So if you do have any of those symptoms at home, it could be worth possibly seeing a neuro-otologist. Um, actually, which leads me into my next question, David, about mm-hmm. MRI scans. Mm-hmm. Um Magnetic resonance imaging, is that right? MRI? That's right. Yep, that's what I remember back from my university days. (laughs) Very well done. (laughs) Um, Just talking about what what are you looking for as a doctor when you you take those scans of the brain and how is that useful in your diagnosis? Why might somebody benefit from getting that done? Sure. So I guess the first thing to say is that the MRI is in general the best tool that we have for looking at the structure of the brain. It gives us the clearest images and the most information. Mm -hmm. Um, The second thing to say is that interpretation of any given person's MRI is made within Mm -hmm. the context of their presentation. So, of course, it depends on what they're experiencing. Um, The brain is huge and we will look at different parts of the brain in detail depending on what the patient is, um, is struggling to do, whether it's arms, legs, whether it's a spinning vertigo, whether it's affecting speech, whether it might be affecting blood pressure, etc. So in the visual, first... Do you get visual Sorry? symptoms as well in your cluster of patients? Do you get funny visual auras yeah. and flashes? Well, yes. Yeah. So the auras and 
spots and blotches are often part of a migraine, and we know that yeah. migranous vertigo, a vestibular migraine, is the second most common cause of episodes of vertigo. Yeah. But interestingly, the um, areas like the cerebellum are very important in ensuring that the eyes move accurately, um, particularly oh, yeah. when there's movement of the head and body, so that our patients will also experience unclear vision, blurry vision, bobbing vision, um, which mm -hmm. can also um, make one feel quite sick and nauseous as if um, they'd want to vomit or do vomit. Um, and certainly those symptoms are not uncommon for people with cerebellar disease. Yeah, because big coordination centres not doing its job. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. So, so how does that look on the scan? The well, yeah, so uh, there, there are a few things. So if, mm -hmm. if the context we're talking about is one where somebody experiences a sudden onset of these symptoms that are relatively severe, then the, usually the first thing that we'll be keen to check is that it's not due to a stroke. Um, yep. And so depending on how many hours or days out from a possible stroke, um, mm -hmm. We'll be looking for specific markings on certain of the MRI sequences. So MRIs um, are processed um, with very fancy computer software so that they highlight different abnormalities and there are specific stroke sequences that we look at. And they'll, depending on the sequence, show up as very bright or perhaps dark areas yeah. um, of the brain, in this case the cerebellum. Um, mm -hmm. In practice such as mine, what's more common um, is a degenerative cerebellar disease where part or parts of the cerebellum um, are actually mm -hmm. shrinking. And so yeah. what we're looking for, if you like, are missing bits of the cerebellum. Um, like and the holes. cerebellum, yeah, somewhat like holes. Well, and depending on which way you look at it, the, the cerebellum is really quite pretty and looks like a plant with branches and leaves hanging off the branches and when there are bits missing or shrinkage what's called atrophy um, yep. it can sometimes look like a tree in winter where it's um, lost yes. its normal foliage yep yep hmm that's interesting isn't it and so is are any of these conditions we're talking about so the vestibular migraine we see a lot of those patients and also some of the vestibular and cerebellar conditions, various conditions that you're seeing in clinic, and of course we're seeing in rehab as well. Are any of those particularly life-threatening, David? Look, in general, not. Um, so, you know, one of the very few life-threatening situations I can think of is someone who has a serious stroke, um, perhaps uh, the type of stroke where there's a bleed into the brain, that's in the back yep. part of the brain where the stem of the brain and the cerebellum are situated. Um, mm -hmm. It will generally be fairly obvious. It'll be a sudden onset, marked imbalance, and there's usually other symptoms um, such as disturbed speech, um, inability yep. to manipulate objects with your hands and arms. Um, and there the concern is just that if there's been a bleed into the back of the brain, then swelling could cause the stem of the brain, which has critical functioning such as breathing, to be squashed. But this oh, yeah. is extremely unusual um, mm. and is not encountered in routine dizzy practice. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen that. 
Mm. Um, great. And just lastly, also, because um, we do see really so much vestibular migraine or migranous vertigo, how would you best describe that if you're looking at these special coordination and filter systems in the brain? What do you think is happening to those systems when there is this temporary migraine sweeping through the body for however long it lasts? Yeah, look, it's a fascinating question and um, despite the fact that migraine overall is one of the commonest conditions that a neurologist sees, we actually have very limited understanding um, mm. of what occurs within the brain during a migraine. So um, for quite a long time, um, it was um, noted that the um, arteries, particularly those on the surface, um, of the um, brain dilated mm -hmm. or increased in diameter. So more more um, blood flow? Yeah, exactly. And then yeah. the other observation was that there was a spread of abnormal electrical activity over the surface of the brain, um, not mm -hmm. altering the structure of the brain, so the shape didn't change, but the function for that period of time altered. Sort of like a, a the, little electrical storm, if you're thinking about weather patterns? Yeah, yeah. Um, and the, the modern idea really is that it's probably both of these. There's a, yes. for reasons that are not very well understood in general. There's this mm -hmm. um, spread of abnormal electrical activity, which probably precedes the alteration in the diameter of the arteries. And depending yes. on which parts of the outside of the brain are affected by the migraine, um, yep. Uh, the symptoms or what the patient experiences can quite vary. So um, yeah. not uncommonly, as you mentioned, um, visual abnormalities, so blurring, blotching, sparkles, kaleidoscopes can often occur mm -hmm. during or just preceding a migraine. Mm -hmm. um, and in the case of our migraines, the dizzy migraines, um, mm -hmm. the the dominant theory is that the parts of the cortex or the outside of the brain that normally receive information from the inner ear balance mechanism are mm -hmm. unusually activated. So in the same yeah. way that the visual parts of the brain are activated in the migraine that gives you a visual disturbance, we believe that the vestibular components of the cortex um, yeah. are abnormally excited during a vestibular migraine. So most of us don't believe it's actually the ear it's the no. part of the brain that receives input from the ear that's affected yeah. in the migraine. Yeah, yeah. I often think about it as being like at a nightclub and you've got bouncers at the door who are supposed to, you know, only let in sober people who are over 18 and the bouncers just aren't there and they're letting everything and anything in and it's just all, it's all a muck in the nightclub. It's not working properly. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good way of thinking about it because the... What... what patients with migraine um, normally complain of are most likely the results of um, everyday stimuli that yeah. those of us who aren't having a migraine at the time have no trouble with. So whether that's yeah. light coming in, whether it's the movement of our head um, or a smell, exactly. But um, yeah. one of the concepts with migraine is that the gait that normally um, ensures that our brains, our consciousness doesn't become overwhelmed with all this sensory input is faulty yeah. and it's letting too much in. Um, That's so right. in there's your a, analogy, there's a party going on. Yeah. Exactly. The, the nightclub so, is, uh, it has got yeah. too many people in it. 
flashing and bopping and spinning and it's just not fun. Exactly. Well, so I'm I'm really interested to hear your hot tips, David. So for the people out there who are sitting at home just thinking I'm over this, I don't know what to do, I don't know who to talk to, I'm worried and I don't like this feeling, do you have any advice that they could really um, do today, anything that they could do in their bedroom even, that um, any advice you'd give someone who might be even having a migraine right now? What, what advice could you give them? Yeah, so look, I think if we talk about migraine, then... Um, the first thing, of course, is to ensure that it is a migraine. So mm -hmm. um, ensuring that at some stage they're correctly diagnosed, um, whether yep. or not that involves a balance expert, um, mm -hmm. ensuring the correct diagnosis will make optimal treatment um, much more readily gained. Um, and then there's a combination of factors. So putting aside medications, um, mm -hmm. there are lifestyle factors. Um, mm -hmm. And certainly at basic level, um, mm -hmm. doing our best to ensure that we eat regularly and sleep regularly um, is Absolutely. certainly very important. So disturbances of both sleep and irregular eating um, have been identified as potentially potent triggers in migraine. Would you say um, that includes hydration too, just, just enough fluids in your day? Yeah, so for, for a number of reasons, adequate hydration yeah. is very important and certainly even those who don't suffer with migraine can tend to feel pretty lousy when their fluid intake is, um, is, um, uh, is not what's required. And um, with yeah. um, a hot summer on its way, I think it's probably a timely reminder um, mm. that we make sure we drink plenty of water. Keep the brain happy. Absolutely. Sleep well, eat well, drink well. And then somebody who's maybe not in the migraine category but more of this finding it difficult to walk in the dark or walk on the beach or feeling just a little bit unsteady generally and it's maybe mm -hmm. progressed over a few years, that sort of cerebellum type patient, what would you recommend for them and how urgent yeah. is it? Look, if it's been progressing over years then it's unlikely to be urgent. Um, mm -hmm. But um, I think regardless... Um, establishing a diagnosis is important and um, yeah. I think really gives both um, the clinicians and the patients the best chance um, of, um, of finding the most effective treatments. Um, and I say treatments because it's often a multidisciplinary approach. So by this, yeah, what we definitely. mean is that it not only involves doctors, but it involves um, physiotherapists, occupational mm -hmm. therapists, speech therapists, audiologists, a whole suite of um, yeah. clinicians. Definitely. And I think knowledge also helps us to keep that emotional part of our brain a little bit more calm too. Because we're left Absolutely. losing I sleep often, over the, the fear of and the worry of what if. Yeah, I think the unknown is very scary. Um, and so um, at its most basic level, um, having had an accurate um, assessment um, means that hopefully um, that fear of what might be happening um, can be rationalised to what is actually happening or perhaps yeah. not happening. Yeah, yeah. And also the transient nature of it, it comes and goes. So really learning how to be at your best when you can be. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. Mm. Wonderful. Thank you so much. It's, been, it's always good to talk with you. I always learn so much and enjoy, enjoy sharing patient stories and things like this with you, David. That's awesome. Thank you so much.
My pleasure, likewise. Thank you very much. And um, on behalf of the people who are listening um, to this series, thank you for providing the opportunity. Yeah, no, it's great. There's so many wonderful experts out there passionate about vertigo, so I think it's good that people hear your voices and, and yeah, feel, feel a part of a really great community. So thanks again. Happy and to until speak I speak anytime. Oh, wonderful. I'll hold you to that. Have a great day. Okay. Enjoy the sunshine. You too, Joey. And, um, look forward to catching up again soon. All the best. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Bye.